We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Peter Prothero, recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. So good to be with you guys. Um, you know, I, I, I do love being here, so Will and Des are just great people. We served together in London, so um, I really do know them well, and uh, he's absolutely right. He's got a shower from hell. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's either going to freeze you to death or make you feel you've gone to hell. It's, it's like, wow, that's just, it's a shower of extremes. And so, uh, yeah, but I survived. It's, it's, uh, it's so great to just catch up and see wonderful people here, um, Raquel and Mykon, just what an outstanding couple you are. So glad to see you again, Nicole. She's just a flipping gun. So great to meet Kayla and Hannah leading youth there. And uh, so I need to say something to Kayla's mom out there in Mosgill. What a brilliant job you have done. And actually, while I was talking to your daughter today, um, I felt like the Spirit of God speak to me about you. And uh, I, I had this phrase come into my, into my head, with long life, I will satisfy you. With long life and blessing, I'm going to satisfy you. And because of the sacrifices you've made, because of the choices you've made in life, I just want you to know there's a new season of adventure coming to you. And it does involve travel. And there's a whole new season of things God is about to set up for you. Uh, it's going to be adventurous. It's going to be joyful. But, but with long life, will I satisfy you? And that's coming to you. And you've just done such a brilliant job with your daughter. She was such a delight to meet this morning. So, uh, God is good, isn't he? Isn't he great? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Um, I want to talk to you a message today about understanding church. How many of you know about understanding church can be difficult sometimes? Sometimes I meet people and it's like, when I hear them talk, it's like, I'm thinking to myself, wow, you don't really get it. It's like you come to church, but you don't understand church. And how many, how many of you know, sometimes you can experience something but not understand it? If you don't know about that, wait till you get married. I mean, you can, you can know women and yet not understand them. I had a, my brother had a, a card sent to him one time, and uh, it was for his birthday. And it said this, show me a man who understands a woman. That was the front cover. And then on the inside, it said this, and I'll show you a man who's in for a surprise. Just because, just because you experience something doesn't mean you necessarily understand it. And, and many times in life, we need to grow in understanding. We, we need to know what it is we're experiencing. And many times in the Bible, what happens is you have an experience, and then you have to think about what you've experienced. You see, I remember when I was at Bible college, and people said to me, you should never, ever um, rely on experience. Experience is very unreliable. You should read the Word of God and test every experience by the Word of God. Here's the problem with that theology. The Bible was not written out of understanding. It was written out of experience. And then they understood it later. So they had an experience in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit came down on the church and then Peter got up and he said, look, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He gave understanding to what they'd experienced. 
And so often we'll experience something first and then we understand it later. What I've discovered is that people come along to church and they experience church, but it takes a while for them to understand church. And usually by their language, it can indicate what level of understanding they have. So sometimes when I hear people criticizing church, I'm thinking, wow, you're criticizing church? You don't understand church. Let me read to you a scripture from Ephesians chapter 4. This is Paul speaking. He says this, Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. I love the way uh, J.B. Phillips translates that. He says, give a generous allowance to one another. Bearing with one another in love. Give a gen- How many of you know some people need a generous allowance? Wait till you have kids. Here's what he goes on to say. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now listen to this. There is one body. How many bodies are there? Thank you. One body, one spirit. Just use a call as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all and through all and in you all. Anytime you criticize the church, you're criticizing the one thing that you are part of. That's like looking in the mirror and saying, I don't really like you. To criticize someone in the body is to criticize the body you are part of. It's like somebody who looks in the mirror and says, I really don't like my nose. Anyone who's been there? I've been there. It's like, you know, it's just not chiseled enough. How many of you know we're good at self-criticism? But that's not healthy psychologically. That's not healthy for your well-being. That's not healthy for life. You are who you are. And guess what? You take who you are wherever you go. And so what we've got to do is we've got to understand, hey, listen, we're part of a body. And God has framed the body well. And you fit well. And so listen to the way uh, Eugene Peterson says this. I'm going to read it from kind of verse 4 onwards. Here's Eugene Peterson's take, the message version. I love this. You're all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. That's good, isn't it? To stay together both inwardly and outwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. Everything you are, you think and you do is permeated with oneness. In other words, God is out to create a unified body. And many times what we do is we we develop patterns of thinking where it's like we separate ourselves from the very thing we're part of. And we say, well, the problem with that church is, well, who made you separate from that? And why in your thinking do you think that way? And, And not only that, sometimes people think in terms of silos. Do you know what a silo is? You're an agricultural community, you get that, don't you? You know, people sometimes think in silos. You got that in Corinth. Well, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas. And then you had the really spiritual crew who were not spiritual at all who said, I'm of Christ. You ever met Christians who say, oh, yeah, I just love Jesus. I hate the church, but I just love Jesus. It's like, oh, you think you're spiritual? You're not spiritual at all. You're carnal, Paul says. You're immature. You don't understand the church. 
And, and to love Jesus is to love the church. Ephesians chapter 5, this is what it says. Paul says it's like a marriage. And the church is like the bride of Christ. And it says Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. Can you imagine meeting a couple and saying to the guy, you're really good, but I hate your wife. Well, that's going to really work well for you. But sometimes that's what we're like in our attitude towards other believers and towards the church. It's like we say, well, I love Jesus, but I hate his body. The church. It's a contradiction. You can't do that. If you love Jesus, you're going to love what he loves. And he loved the church. Not only did he love it, he loved it so much, he gave his life for it. He laid down his life for the church. Do you get it? And so if we're to truly understand the nature of the church, we've got to understand we are connected. When Jesus met Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9, he had this challenge for him. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He didn't say, why do you persecute my people? He said, you touch them, you touch me. Whoever gives a cup of cold water unto the least of my disciples, who are they giving it to? To me. Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you visited me. Lord, when did we do that? Well, when you did it to the least of my disciples, you did it to me. Do you get it? Unified, together, one body. It's Jesus. Everything you do in the church, you need to recognize you're ultimately doing it for Jesus. When you work with youth and you have to handle their naughtiness, you're doing it for Jesus. You're serving future potential leaders. Not just leaders in the church, but leaders in the community. How many of you know every great leader in the world started off as a teenager? I mean, no, every great leader in the world started off in kindergarten. Everything you do in life has value because you don't know how people are going to turn out. You don't know their destinies, but God does. And he entrusts you with a period of time for their destiny. What an amazing opportunity. If we're going to be the people of God together, we've got to recognize this stuff counts, friends. Coming to church counts. You know, in, in our church, we used to have, um, we, we still do, we have a, an Easter conference called Momentum. It's amazing. I remember the first year we started it with 80 people. And uh, I remember saying to the church, I want to put Easter back on the map. It's all about resurrection. It's all about celebrating what Jesus did. Let's put Easter back on the map. And so many people were just used to having an Easter holiday. I said, let's have an Easter conference. And a holiday, by the way, is a holy day. That's where the word holiday comes from. It comes from holy day. It was all about religious celebrations, about gatherings together. I said, let's have a real holiday. And so we started having our Easter conference. We call Momentum. You know, and it grew year upon year. And I would just say to people in our church, you know, and it's, it's funny, some of the key leaders in our church, I said, you come into Momentum. And they would look at me and they go, oh, no, sorry, Peter, I booked a holiday. And that was their get out. So you know what I used to say? I said, fair enough. What about next year? Then the, then the conversation got awkward. Because now there isn't an excuse. 
Now you're going to have to look at me in the eye and say, I don't really value the conference and I'm not going because I prefer to go on holiday. (laughs) Too harsh? Too harsh? Aren't you glad you're separated by a camera, those of you in Mosgill? Aren't you glad there's like at least a 25-minute distance between us? And I just looked at them and I said, come on, what about next year? And they looked at me and they goes, oh, you're good, aren't you? You're good at this, aren't you? I said, yeah, I've been doing it a long time. Because I like reality in my conversations. I don't like games. Oh, oh, the kids are tired. Really? You mean you're tired? Because we've all played those games. And so we just built our conference year upon year. You know, this year we had 750 people at our conference. It's amazing. But here's something else that I noticed that happened. Sometimes we we finish our conference on Saturday so that if pastors or people from other churches, they've got an afternoon to go home and then they can do their own Sunday. So we finish it Saturday. And what happened was, on Sunday, everything went wrong in church. Because people said, conference is over, pack down, let's go home, you know, let's watch a movie, you know, and everyone gets up late on Sunday, the PA's not working properly, the projector's not working properly. It's like we had this amazing conference and a real downer on Sunday, and half the people didn't turn up because they were tired. And so I remember saying to our church, hey church, I know the conference finishes on Saturday lunchtime, but not for you. In your head, tell yourself it doesn't finish till midnight Sunday. Just, just even though you're packing down at the conference and we're going back to church, conference for you did not finish Saturday lunchtime. Stay geared in, stay in gear. And you know what happened? Everything that God did in the conference, we took the momentum of that into Sunday and we started having the most amazing Sundays we've ever had in our church life. By the way, we have a rule in our church. One claps, we all clap. Is that fair enough? Otherwise, it's like the lone clapper. You know, the one person appreciating. You just need one person to kick it off. And then we all, can we try that just one time? There you go. How much better is that? And by the way, you don't have to do a sympathy clap. That's okay. I don't need sympathy claps. But if it's worth clapping, it's worth us all clapping. Is that good? Great. You got it. And so now, it was just a mindset it was mindset. People said to me, oh, the kids are going to be tired. They're kids. Of course they're going to be tired, but just they'll follow your lead. And you can say to them, sleep in Monday. Just gear up Monday. And what happens is you take the momentum of the conference into Sunday. What would happen with, with um, Shout Conference? If we took the momentum of Shout all week into Sunday here, People come home from shouting, they go, oh, I'm so tired. No, 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 just in your head say, no, I'm not tired. This is church. I'm going to take the momentum of everything I've got and I'm going to bring that momentum into Sunday and I'm not going to flick a switch until Monday morning. Then I'm going to lie in and I'm going to have a coffee at 11. (laughs) Do it Monday. Don't do it Sunday. Sunday is game day. Sunday is when we're meant to be together. (laughs) Sunday is when we're meant to be pursuing the things of God. Do you understand? Do you get understanding, church? 
You see, I think if we're going to do this stuff, we've got to recognize when you hear people saying, oh, I'm just so tired, they don't understand church. Oh, it's just they're asking too much. You don't understand church. We're not asking too much. We're simply saying, have your holiday another time. By the way, I'm not against people having holidays. I was just trying to persuade people, don't have your holiday that weekend. There's a two-week break in our country for Easter. I used to say to people, don't go on holiday Saturday night. Go on holiday Sunday night. Have the whole weekend of celebration. And do you know what? We've almost got all of our church buying into that now. Because they understand what we're doing. They're understanding. I said, look, we have people coming from Europe to come to our Momentum Conference, and you live down the road, and you're telling me it's too difficult? Seriously? Come on, it's a mindset. You just got to shift your mindset. So, so here's what I've discovered. If you're, if you're going to be somebody who's going to be part of a local church, attitude is everything. The mindset that you have, the, the, the way you view church. First of all, you've got to recognize that Jesus loves the church. So learn to love being with people. Learn to love it. Now, for some of you people who are the introverts here, you know, the creative types, we know you need your alone time. I get it. I get that. Sunday is not your alone time. Is that okay? That's not your alone time. Jesus got up a great while before dawn and he went into the wilderness to be alone with his father. We get it. But sometimes there's game day. Sometimes you're on. And for the church, Sunday is just a great day. It's a great day to connect with people. It's a great day to serve people. It's a great day to reach out to people. If you need your little quiet time, do it another time. Drive down to the coast. Be inspired by a sunrise. You know, watch the sea lions. Go and visit the albatrosses. I'm all for that stuff. Just don't do it on Sunday. Find another day. Find another time. You need that. So let me give you four things that are going to really help you. Four things to help you in your mindset to connect with church in a way that shows you have understanding. Here's the first one. Humility. Be humble. That's what Paul says here right in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, you know what? With all lowliness and gentleness. Some translations say with a humble attitude. Humility. You know what it says in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 5? It says, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. I love that. Be clothed with humility. Listen, all of us got dressed today, didn't we? Some of us look sharper than others. So, <laughs> not going to point any fingers. But, uh, but some of us, you know, we take care of what we wear. Listen, what would happen if every day you just came before God and you said, God, today I want to clothe myself with humility. I'm going to be meeting people. I'm going to be facing challenges. I don't know what kinds of things are going to be happening to me today. But I know you give grace to the humble and you resist the proud. And I want to position myself today to be a man who flows in the grace of God. So, so before you right now, humble myself and I ask help me to live with a humble attitude today what would happen if you clothed yourself with humility every day in other words you made it an intentional discipline 
I found that one of the reasons I've survived in ministry is whenever things get tough, I ask this question because God always resists the proud. And if I find resistance in my life, I just say to God, where do I need to humble myself? Because he gives grace to the humble. I want grace. I want grace in my life. I want grace to succeed. I want grace to triumph. I want grace to break through. I want grace in my life. But it says he resists the, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then he goes on to say, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Can you imagine that? The mighty hand of God coming down on you. How many of you, none of you are going to push back on that? It's like, whoa, the hand of God is on you to humble you. Humble yourself. Just get low. It's an attitude of heart. One of the reasons, I'm amazed at the number of ministries on the internet who think it's their divine right to, to criticize other ministries. Like you've got whole websites. It's like, get a life. Jesus didn't call us to preach the criticism. He called us to preach the kingdom. And so many think, I'm a self-appointed policeman for the body of Christ. Oh my goodness, how arrogant is that? How arrogant is that? I just can't be done with those programs or those websites. People send them to me all, oh, you should watch this. No, I shouldn't. No, I shouldn't. Because here's what, I've, here's what I understand. The Spirit of God is changing us from glory to glory. By the way, it's not from rubbish to glory. It's from glory to glory. The Spirit of God is transforming us. And I want to cooperate with the Spirit of God to help the church change and be transformed and to become a glorious church. You see, Jesus loved the church. He gave himself for it that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Jesus' intention is not to criticize the church. It's to transform the church. It's to see it become a glorious bride. That should be our attitude. So when you hear people say, oh, I don't really like him, don't really like him, you know, don't really like him, don't really. well, what are you doing? Well, every time you point a finger at someone, three fingers are pointing back at you. You're just criticizing your own body. It's one body. One body. Do you get it? Everyone say one body. Come on, let's be humble. Let's be humble. Let's receive from everybody. You know what I love about some of the great leaders we met this week at Shout Conference? Just how humble they are. Like on stage, they're really dynamic. They've got great ministries, very successful, some of them. But you just meet them off stage and they're just humble men. You can just talk to them. It's just so brilliant. And, and I love that about the body of Christ. Listen, we're here to build up the body. We're not here to turn down the body. You've you got to be humble. When you're humble, you are actually the best version of yourself. Do you know that? Humility is not about being a doormat. That's not what humility is. Humility is about being confident in who you are in God, but being content not to always put yourself on display. So, some people, they just need to be the center of attention. Do you know that? The center of attention. It's like, oh, get delivered from that stuff. Get delivered from that. Because if you always need to be at the center of attention, you will always need people around you to tell you how great you are. And we, we need God to tell us how great we are. You've got to have a secret life with God. You've got to develop that. Listen, none of us are perfect. We're all on a journey. So Paul says, 
in lowliness of mind, be gentle towards one another, long-suffering towards one another. Do you know why it's called long-suffering? Because you suffer for a long time. <laughs> it's long-suffering. You just Because people are in process, aren't they? And sometimes we wish they'd change quicker than they do, don't you? Listen, if you know anything about raising kids, don't you wish, like, like the nappy phase, Boy, thank God, listen, I am old enough, and some of you here, I can tell by your gray hair, you're going to identify with this. I am old enough to remember towel nappies. What a stink to high heaven those things created. You had to put them in a bucket to wash them, and you'd put them out. So the smell was so bad, you know, I said, Jackie, that is not staying in the house. That is demonic. That is not staying in our house. I don't know what's in that bucket, but put it outside. And then we, then we discovered throwaway nappies. Thank you, Jesus. I will pay any price. <laughs> Nobody is perfect. We're all in process. And so I remember, I remember the day our kids were kind of potty trained, you know, out of nappies. And now they could actually go to the toilet. You know, and they got so excited. Look, Daddy, slosh, 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 slosh. Yes, put it down, put it down. That's fantastic, great. We, we, it's lovely when people change, when they transition from one place of immaturity to a place of maturity. That's an exciting thing. But how many of you know you can't rush the process? You can't rush the process. I'm in a new season in my life. I'm a grandfather. So I have a, a, a nine-month-old grandson. It's so fantastic because I love spending time with him. And I get to give him back. <laughs> I sleep perfectly. I don't have sleepless nights. It's fantastic. She does. They look like death. <laughs> but it's like, he is wonderful. And I keep saying, oh, Dad, but he's not sleeping at night. I say, yeah, you'll get over that. <laughs> Eventually. But in the process, you've got to be humble. You've got to humble yourself within the process. Otherwise, if you don't humble yourself, you get angry. You get frustrated. You wish it's different all the time. But when you're humble, you're long-suffering. When you're humble, you allow the process to take the time it needs to take. We're here in the disciple-making business, friends. It takes a while to do that. Here's the second thing you've you, you got to do. You've got to learn to trust others. If you really understand the nature of the church, you've got to learn to trust people. How many of you know if you've been, ever been hurt, abused, disappointed, let down, that's difficult to do sometimes? Let me read to you a scripture from Paul where, where he writes this about his, his son in the gospel, his son in the faith, Timothy. This is Philippians 2.19. Here's what he says. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Listen to this. All seek their own and not the things of Christ Jesus. He's talking about other ministries. He's talking about other leaders in ministry. And he says, guys, I'm going to send Timothy to you. There's no one like him. Everyone has an agenda. In the ministry that I'm in right now at Philippi, or sorry, he, wasn't, he was at Caesarea Philippi. He was writing from there or he was writing from Rome. There's a bit of debate. We won't go into that. That's too theological. The thing is, he's in prison. And while he's in prison, people are taking advantage because when Paul's in prison, He's not able to visit the churches that he's an apostolic leader to. So 
apostolic leaders were going into those churches and saying, we don't know about Paul, we don't know about his future, he could be dead tomorrow, you need to come under my ministry. And that was the selfish ambition of Philippines chapter one. Some preach Christ out of selfish ambition, wishing to add affliction to my bonds. He, he talks about that. And so there are people in ministry with all kinds of agendas. But then Paul says this, but you know Timothy. Here's what he says about him. You know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. In other words, I trust him and I want you to trust him. In ministry and in church, you've got to trust somebody. You cannot be somebody who lives your life cut off from people because you got hurt, you got wounded, you got let down, or you got disappointed. You cannot live your life that way. You've got to do the third thing that is on my list here. You've got to use discernment. So if you're going to trust other people, ask yourself, do they have proven character? What I mean by that is, is there a track record of consistency? Proverbs says this, every man will proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. You need somebody with a track record, somebody who's done it before and been consistent over a period of time and people say, oh yeah, you can trust him. How many of you know when you go to a dentist, you don't want a graduate messing with your teeth? I mean, you know that. I don't mind. You can go to Botswana and do that. You can go to Vietnam and do that. But you can't come to Dunedin and do that. I remember sitting in the chair one time. There was a young guy. He looked 12. <laughs> telling me to open my mouth. I was going to have an extraction. And he goes, I said, how many have you done? He didn't want to tell me. And I said, no, no, this is important to me. How many have you done? He goes, six. I said, I'm going to reschedule. I'm going to reach, I found a dentist. I asked him the same question. He said, 400. I said, go right ahead. How many of you know if you're a guy in the room here and you're going to have a vasectomy, you do not want somebody who's doing it for the first time. See how important it gets? Yeah, I read a book. And I passed my exams. Good for you. I want somebody with a proven track record. You've got to trust people, but trust, use discernment. This is what Paul said to the Philippine church in chapter 1 and verse 9. I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment. You've got to use discernment. There is some people in church that because they're in their process, don't trust them. Not yet. Why? Because they're still on the journey to becoming trustworthy. They've still got issues in their life. Let me say this to some of you young people. Not every guy who says you look gorgeous has a pure heart. Not every guy who looks at you and says, oh, you're really wonderful. There are people out there that we call sweet talkers. There's an agenda in their heart. Use discernment. Discernment is the ability to see through a person's words and know the intent of their heart. It's a spiritual gift. And we've got to be people of discernment. And you know what? As you grow and become more successful as a church, it's amazing the people that get attracted to your church and then they tell you how great they are. 
That happens to me often. People will come to me and say, oh, you know, the Lord's really used me to preach. I say, great, good for you. Hint, hint, you know. I say, great, you know, is there any way I can help? Yeah, we really need someone on the car park team. That'll test your heart. Why? Because you have to do something humble first. I always, listen, if you want to serve in church and you're looking for the platform, you've got to pass the humility test. That means you're willing to do anything. Let me tell you what, what delights every pastor to hear. Not, this is my gift. God really uses me in the prophetic. God really uses me in this. No, that's not helpful to a pastor. He'll discover that soon enough if that's what your gift is. Here's what's helpful. Hey, pastor, I see the church is growing. Where would you like me to serve? That is music to our ears. It's like it's agenda-free. It's like I'm here to build the body of Christ because I'm part of the body and I'm in the body and I know Jesus is nurturing the body and bringing it to a glorious body. How can I serve into that? You know, in the first three, I, was, I went full-time as a, a Christian worker at the age of 23. And let me tell you, in my first year of being a full-time Christian worker, I did everything, like everything. It was like, I remember saying to my pastor once, what's my job description? And he goes, your job description is to do everything no one else is doing. (laughs) Block toilet. (laughs) Roadie, PA. Chauffeur to the pastor. Hoovering afterwards. Going out and getting pizza for the team. Everything. I was... My job description was, I'm the go-to guy. Whatever's needed, go-to. Whatever's needed. Now, over the years, my gifting started to shine, and they thought, oh, we better position him here because of his gift. Do you get it? But my desire was, how can I serve? If you bring that attitude into it. So, First of all, you've got to be humble. Secondly, you've got to trust people. Find a group of people you can trust, but use discernment. You know, how many of you know sometimes you can tell somebody something and suddenly the whole church knows about it? Ever had that one happen? It's like, wow, blabber mouth. Thank you, little Miss Gossip. So glad I confided in you. It's like, and by the way, if you think I'm pointing the finger at anybody, I want you to know I've been guilty of that. I've been guilty of that. I remember my daughter told me something, and just quite innocently, I told a friend who told his wife, who told her kids, who told the youth group. Within three days, my daughter came back to me and said, Dad, Dad, I told you that in confidence. The entire youth group know. And I say, really? And I'm racking my brains thinking, who did I tell? And then I remember I was at the business meeting and I just told one guy who told his wife, who told her kids, who told the youth group. So how many of you know it's like wildfire? So I said to my daughter, did you tell me not to tell anybody? I was looking for a way out. And she said, Dad, from now on, assume I don't want you to tell anybody about my life unless I give you express permission. You can talk about this from the rooftop. It's like, okay, I repent. Trust others, but use, use discernment. We've we, we got to grow in love. People say, oh, we just need to love people. No, no, we need to love people with discernment. Why? Because everyone's got an issue. 
And sometimes they won't tell you their issues, so you need to discern it. I love that scripture in Mark's gospel. It says Jesus knew the thoughts of their heart. He knew what they were thinking. Here's the, th- the th- fourth and final thing, friends. If we're going to truly understand the nature of the church, you've got to serve humbly. You've got to learn to trust others. You've got to use discernment. But you've got to get involved. You've got to get your hands dirty. I love that you're sitting in chairs listening to me because you're paying attention. That's good. But at the end of the meeting, we're not going to be sitting in chairs. At the end of the meeting, somebody is going to be thinking about the next service. Somebody is going to be thinking about hospitality. Somebody is going to be thinking about connecting with new visitors. Somebody is going to be thinking about kids' ministry. And do we need to do a clean-up and get ready for another session? Somebody's going to be thinking in that, those kinds of ways. Get involved. Get involved. Now, if you're somebody who has been particularly hurt by church or someone, I understand you need a period of time for healing. Great. We had a guy in our church. In fact, he spoke at Shout. His name is Dr. Paul Matz. He doesn't mind me sharing the story. I have his permission. But an incredibly clever guy. He's probably one of the top researchers for Procter & Gamble. He's part of the Victor Mills. Only 12 people have ever been, have been inducted into that. It's, it's, a, it's a scientific community within Procter & Gamble. He's a very, very clever man, Dr. Paul Matz. He's a biochemist. He has PhD students working for him, doing research in Procter & Gamble. And the Holy Spirit will speak to him and say, Paul, there's a connection between this chemical and this chemical. Get somebody researching it. And they say, well, what are you researching that for? This is a load of nonsense. And he says, no, no, I think there's a connection. He's done it so many times now where they found connections between different uh, chemicals and stuff like that. That's why things like oil of Ule and Max Factor, this is, this, he does products for skincare for women. That's why you all look so good today. <laughs> but I remember the first time he came to our church and he'd come from a highly, highly abusive church and an abusive church leader. And he and his family had been out of church for five years and they heard about this guy. They heard about our church in the town. And he came along to our church on a Sunday with his wife. And he sat there throughout the meeting, throughout the worship, just crying. And he sat there while I was preaching. He was just crying from beginning to end. And every week for six months, this guy was crying in church. For six months. I remember he came up to me afterwards. He said, I just want you to know that I'm actually a highly competent, successful researcher. <laughs> and I said, why are you telling me that? He said, because I must look like a basket case to you. And I said, well, I don't think that about you. I said, but I would like to know what's going on. He said, Peter, every time I walk into this church, he said, the presence of God is so real to me, I cannot stop crying. He said, I haven't been to church for five years. I got so hurt. I got so wounded. He said, and and I just want to bathe in it. And he said, is there anything I can do? And I said, well, Paul, if that's where you are right now, just enjoy. You don't have to do anything. And then he started crying. He said, no leader has ever said that to me. They try to get me to do this and get me to do that. And I said, Paul, when you're ready, get involved. When you're ready. He's now a trustee in our charity, in in our church. He's now one of the key guys. He and I started a charity, Action on Podoconiosis. You can see the thing. He, he does one of the electives. I don't know if you can see that online. but It's just a charity that is transforming the lives of many people who've got a terrible disease. You've got to get involved. Let me give you four areas you could get involved. 
that will really bless this church. First of all, pray into the vision. And by pray into the vision, I mean get along to a prayer meeting. Either a pre-service prayer meeting or whenever you do a prayer meeting in this church, we happen to do our prayer meetings on a Wednesday night. And people sometimes say to me, oh, you know, seven o'clock, it's really hard to come home from work, have dinner and get to prayer meeting. And I said, well, do what I do. And they say, well, what do you do? I said, I don't have dinner. I eat after. And they look at me like I slapped them in the face. <laughs> Miss dinner? No, just have it an hour later. What's wrong with you? And we, we do good food after our prayer meeting. I said, so could eat there? I had another guy who said to me, oh, I work in the city. It's very hard for me to get there. And I said, well, ask your boss for an hour off. You're looking at me funny. Ever tried that? And he goes, I never thought of that. This is a guy who is a top, top banker in the city doing market share stuff. And he went to his boss and he said, is it possible on Wednesdays if I could leave an hour early and I'll make up the time another time? He said, well, what do you want to do that for? He said, I'd like to get home for my church prayer meeting. His boss said, do you want to get off an hour early in order to go to a prayer meeting? He said, yes. He said, I'll make up the time another time. He said, you don't need to do that. Take the hour off. I said, I, I really admire that you want to do that. He said, yes. Here's the thing. Don't say no on someone else's behalf. I get that all the time. Oh, my kids won't do that. How do you know? You haven't asked them. Oh, my wife won't let me do that. How do you know? Maybe God will touch your heart. Oh, my boss will never let me do that. How do you know? You never asked him. Why are you saying no before you got to know? I had a friend of mine. He's a cheeky chap. He, he, he flew to Singapore and he had an appointment with Yongi Cho. I said, what are you going for? He said, I want to ask him for a million dollars. I said, you're flying, to, to, you're flying to South Korea and you've got an appointment with Yongi Cho and you're going to sit there and ask him for a million dollars. He said, yes. I said, that's really cheeky. He said, I know. I said, well, that's a long way to go to get a no. He said, yeah, but I might get a yes. I thought, Wow. And then I saw him a few months later. I said, did you go to South Korea? He said, I did. I said, did you get an appointment with Yongi Cho? He said, I did. I sat in front of him. I said, Pastor Cho, you've got a great church. You've got a big budget. And I can release over 200 missionaries into North Korea. And they will never let South Koreans in there, as you know. But you could help to fund it. I'd like a million dollars. Pastor Cho sat there. He said, you are interesting, man. I will pray and ask Holy Spirit if I shall do this. I said to him, wow. I said, I so admire that faith. He said, Peter, he said, why should I give myself a no without hearing it from the man's mouth? I just love that. You know, commit to prayer. You don't know. Rearrange the family meal. I don't know what time you do prayer here, but get along to it. Pray into the vision. We need you. Here's, here's the second thing. So I'm over time. Do I need to just shut it down? Okay, Mosgill, forgive me. I'm going to take an extra five minutes. Is that okay? Thank you so much. I can hear your amens all the way here in Dunedin. Here's the second thing. To get involved, you've got to serve into the vision. 
Just, uh, just start to serve. Just where are the gaps? Fill the gap. Hey, listen, you know what happens every time you start a new location? And we've done this, we've done this four times. We're, we've just started our fifth location. By the end of the year, we're starting a sixth location. It's, it's a stretch. Every time we do it, we don't have enough worship leaders. We don't have enough preachers. We don't, you know, we, get, we eventually find a venue. It's, everything's a stretch. Everything's a stretch. You know, my, my desire is that people will attend one service and, and serve in, uh, attend one and serve in one. But sometimes when you're in the stretch, you're doing everything all the time for a period of time. Now, you can't sustain that year upon year upon year, but for six months you could do it. So I say to my team, hey, I need you to serve double for about six months. I just need extra. Who's up for it? And we don't force people to do it, but we've got a whole group of amazing volunteers who say, yeah, I'm up for that, Peter. I'm up for that. I'll do worship three times on Sunday. Jumping in a car, going somewhere else, and we just, we just do it. And you know what we do? What we're trying to do is we're trying to create something that will then draw others in. And say, okay, now, now we can kind of consolidate. Now we can relax a bit. But just serve where the gaps are. Here's the third thing, give. Give. Hey, listen, if you're good at tithing, try it the second time around. Oh, what? No clapping? <laughs> Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. See the tithe as the floor, not the ceiling. See the tithe, you know, it, it talks about tithes and offerings. So every year, my wife and I aim to, to give 20%. That's what we aim at. We don't always achieve it. We usually achieve 15 at least. But we aim at 20. Why not? If tithing is a baseline and we want to be generous people, generosity is always going above and beyond. That's right. Every time God blesses you with extra. I remember one time I did a whole ministry tour in New Zealand because I was here for a long time. I, was here, I don't know how many months I was here. I got some fantastic offerings. I was like, oh, yeah. Now, now when you've sown, now some of you are looking at me funny when I said that, but when you've done years and years of ministry where you hardly get any money, enough just about to pay for the petrol, I'm telling you, when you go to a place and you get generosity, it's exciting for you as a preacher. So I remember, we, you know, I got, I think it was something like $10,000. I thought, this is great. And then I went along to this, to this meeting with, where Bruce and Helen, I don't know, they were celebrating, I don't know, 50 years of ministry or something ridiculous like that. And they said, and we want to take up a special offering for Bruce and Helen. And I always wanted to put my fingers in my ears. Yeah, don't hear that. It was too late. The Holy Spirit said to me, give away half your offerings. Does that, how many of you know when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, there's a moment of pain? Yeah. You know, until you get into the rejoicing mode, until you get into the faith zone. It's like a moment of, oh, really? Oh, half? Oh, not even a tithe? Oh, 50%? Oh. And, and I did it joyfully. Did it joyfully. Be a giver. Here's the, here's the, here's the last thing invite people to church, be an inviter. You can invite, invite people into your world. You know, Kayla, here's the one thing that when I spoke to you, it's so not, I'm saying your name right, Anna. Thank you. I'd be very embarrassed if I didn't do that. When I was talking to you, you were so delightful to talk to, but here's the thing. You're like a magnet. 
that there's an attractiveness about you that goes way beyond how pretty you are. There's an attractiveness of spirit. There's an attractiveness of soul. And you're going to draw people into the kingdom. You're going to draw people into the zone of the kingdom. And they're going to, they're, their testimony will be, how did, how did, people will say, how did you get here? Oh, let me tell you about this young woman that I met who had an amazing impact on my life. That, that's going to be your story. God is using you. There's a sound coming out of you. There's a tune coming out of you that people are drawn to. And they're supernaturally drawn. And it's one of the things that, that, that God has positioned you in a, in a key place. And, and it's who you are. It's not just what you say. It's just who you are. It attracts people. And they're going to come in and they're going to find Jesus. They're going to find purpose. They're going to find destiny. And I just want to encourage you with that, 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 that you're the kind of person who, who is able to invite. But you know, all of us are called to be, to have an invitational heart a heart where we include people. And you just never know who's going to say yes. So, so never be afraid to ask. Never be afraid to say, hey, I'm, where are you going tonight? Yeah, I'm going to church. Want to come? Can I pick you up? Can I give you a lift? Make it easy for people. If you're, if you're in a workplace, you know, sometimes when I used to invite people from work, they wanted to see what I was up to. I said, would you like me to pick you up? I said, oh, could you do that? And if I pick them up afterwards, I say, would you like to come out for a meal, for lunch? It's, it's like, do the whole deal. Go the whole way. Would you like to have coffee? Would you like to talk about what you experienced today? Oh, that was wild today. I didn't know church could be like that. Let's go have lunch together. Let's talk about it. I'd love to unpack it with you. Thank you. The, the invitation is not just to a meeting. The invitation is to be part of your world. That's what the real invitation is. Two people who were disciples of John were following Jesus one day. They were the original stalkers of the New Testament. And Jesus turned around one day and he says, what do you want? It's like, can you imagine two guys following you at a distance like all day? It's like they're too intimidated to kind of go up to Jesus, but they kind of want to know where he's going. And they're like walking at this. And in the end, Jesus says, what do you guys want? And then they say, where are you staying? I mean, that's real stalker material right there, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come and see. He invites them into his, come and see. Come and see. What a conversation that would have been going to where Jesus was staying and talking to him. Well, what, what do you want, guys? Well, you know that guy, John the Baptist, he pointed at you. He called you the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's why we're here. Ah, okay. Yeah, John's a good guy. Cuz John. It could be as simple as that. Hey, stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com.